I used to think that IPAs were just an extremely hoppy brew originating from pale malts that I would drink last when they were part of a variety seasonal pack. India pale ales are not something that my palate can tolerate, and it wasn't until about three to four years ago that I discovered another IPA, which is called an Independent Physician Association, and how that is a powerful tool that physicians can use to provide value to and collectively negotiate with third-party payers. And so an IPA Independent Physician Association is definitely an IPA that, that my palate can tolerate and that I can love. Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. I was planning on taking this week off, but I had a number of people reach out to me wondering if the feed was broken. And since I didn't prepare everyone for a break, I won't take one. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, and share it with your friends. And make sure to support those who support us. When COVID hit, one of the changes we made to our practice was that we would ship all contact lenses directly to our patients at no additional charge. Since COVID, we've continued this practice because it allows our patients to receive their contacts in a way that they want and also minimizes staff time and unnecessary exposure risk for our patients and team. CooperVision also recognized this opportunity for our practices to better serve our patients, and they've stepped up to demonstrate their partnership with us. CooperVision is offering free shipping with a purchase of any two multi-packs of CooperVision contact lenses shipped directly to patients on our behalf through July 31st, 2020. 88% of consumers would prefer to have their contact lenses delivered directly to their home rather than pick them up in office. And now is our opportunity to give our patients what they want, all while helping our contact lens revenue in our practice and serving our patients to the best of our ability. Check out CooperVision's program and see the show notes in today's episode. So I want to talk about an IPA today, Independent Physician Association, but the reason that I'm going to do it is in light of the large vision plans decision to seemingly drive product choice away from doctors who are in touch with their patients and trying to provide them with the best services and products that, that they feel are in those patients' best interest. It seems right off the bat that if your practice is impacted by this vision plans move, then they should hear from you. This vision plan should hear from you about how this move impacts your patients and impacts your practice. And you should make that individual decision about your practice. uh, And it should be in the best interest of your practice and in the best interest of your patients. And to be clear, I am not encouraging anyone to drop a plan or collude or participate in any antitrust activities. What I'm just trying to encourage you to do is if... If you determine individually in your practice that that a particular plan is something that you want to participate with, there are ways that you can make your voice known. We do not have to be a very quiet individual practice. We can let them know. We have the power to let them know how their decisions impact our ability to care for our patients. But if we're going to talk about IPAs today, there are ways that we can collectively negotiate. And and they're challenging. They're not completely perfect in any, any mechanism, but we're going to talk about it. So as a student and new graduate and longtime practitioner, I, I always asked and heard others ask why we couldn't come together as a profession and negotiate collectively with insurance companies. And every time this question was asked by me or someone else, it was met with a quick quote, we can't discuss those things within our profession. It is antitrust, end quote. And while this answer was and is technically correct, 
it was never followed with a legally appropriate mechanism that was explained that exists so that physicians can collectively negotiate. I was never satisfied with this answer since I knew there had to be some way that physicians who practice in large groups or within hospitals were negotiating their contracts. So I continued to ask. And Fortunately, one day I was discussing these frustrations with someone who had a lot of experience negotiating with insurance companies. And when I expressed them that I had been informed that, quote, we can't discuss those things, end quote, he simply smiled and said, that's incorrect. You just have to know how to legally come together as a profession so that you can negotiate collectively. So an IPA is a legal entity that unites physicians, allowing them to negotiate insurance contracts. IPAs do this by providing value to those insurers, which in turn provide a reason for the payer to add beneficial provisions in the contract with the the providers represented by the IPA. And so there's a, a multiple types of IPAs and IPA classification derm- determines what components a contract can be negotiated. And so um, part of the role an IPA plays in controlling costs for the payer and improving the quality of the care Im- includes first to deliver the contract to the provider once it has been negotiated. So one of the costs in doing business for insurance companies is organizing a provider network. This means that if there are 500 providers of one type, in this case, optometrists, then that insurance company has to determine, disseminate contracts and communication to 500 different addresses. If an IPA acts as an intermediary, then the insurance company can have one place to go for these types of contracts. It also can serve to credential providers. So similar to the above, if an IPA can credential providers in a manner that's acceptable to an insurance company, then that's less work and cost that an insurance company has to spend on credentialing individual providers. It also is a benefit for physicians since every contract that is negotiated by an IPA would likely include the provision of accepting the IPA's credentialing so there would be no need to re-credential every time a contract is accepted by the physician. And additionally, this allows a favorable intermediary, the IPA, to act on behalf of providers in the case or in the event that there are questions that arise during credentialing. And it implements utilization management. So as I discussed previously, payers look at a distribution of codes and procedures for outlier providers who utilize these codes at a level that deviates from the norm. And this can be a significant cost to a payer or an insurance company. And it can also be difficult for an insurance company to determine if those outliers are legitimate, as is the case of a provider who sees only complicated glaucoma patients compared to the general primary care optometrist, or is it due to an aggressive biller? Since the IPA performs the utilization management, they determine legitimate outliers versus aggressive billers. And I would much rather have an optometric committee evaluating my care than a professional auditor since other ODs will understand the care of patients that we're providing better than a non-clinician. So the bottom line is that it's perfectly legal for optometrists to collectively negotiate, but they cannot do it informally. They must form an independent physician association to do this work on their behalf. So what different types of independent physician associations exist. Well, there's really two main types. The first one is called clinical integration model. So it's a model that connects providers. And in the eyes of most providers, the inner, the immediate advantage of an IPA or a clinically integrated IPA is that they can negotiate all terms of a contract with a payer, including reimbursement. 
And under most circumstances, this level of collective negotiation would be considered price fixing and would also be a violation of federal antitrust law. However, in the eyes of the FTC and Justice Department, a clinically integrated IPA can become a legitimate joint venture by its members for antitrust purposes and thus would not be subject to the same federal antitrust law if they can show that the providers in the IPA agree to provide services at a capitated rate or agree to a significant financial incentive to achieve cost control goals or adhere to utilization management and quality assurance activities, including things like providers have to have significant capital investment in terms of monetary investment or information systems. They hire staff and infrastructure for utilization management and quality assurance activities. They develop and implement cost and quality benchmarks. They develop educational programs and remedial action to discipline providers who are not in compliance with benchmarks and protocols and selectively control IPA membership. And so these are examples of uh, clinically integrated uh, IPA, so things like MedSouth, GRIPA, they have met the above criteria and function as a true joint venture in the opinion of the FTC and Justice Department. The challenge is, of course, that for independent providers, which is most optometrists, is getting them to adhere to these requirements. And I think the bottom line from clinically integrated IPAs is that the large advantage of them is that is the ability to negotiate fees on behalf of their members. The main challenge is developing and funding the effective programs that will control the cost of care, increase quality, uh, and uh, additionally, since clinically integrated IPAs share in the financial reward associated with providing quality care, there's also a potential for risk of those quality measures if they do not overall reduce the cost of care. And so another uh, IPA mechanism that exists is called a messenger model IPA. And so, so if we look at a messenger model IPA, it, it allows the IPA to negotiate all aspects of a contract except for fees. And so those provisions can include things like reimbursement methods. So uh, as an example, if a payer was reimbursing the provider via paper check one time every month, the IPA could negotiate that weekly electronic fund transfer be used to transfer payments directly to the provider. That may be an advantage to the provider since it, um, the accounts receivable could be reduced. Things like covered services. So if there were a certain services that was service that was not being reimbursed by a payer, so things like topography, anterior segment photography, pechimetry, specific types of spectacle lenses, this could be a provision that the messenger model IPA could negotiate on behalf of their members. Things like discounts on non-covered services. If a payer was requiring a specific discount on a service that is not covered by the payer, the IPA could negotiate this provision um, to make it lowered or completely eliminated. And we can also do that legislatively as well. So things like choice of laboratory, if, if a payer requires a specific spectacle or contact lens laboratory to be utilized by that provider, this can be a provision that is negotiated by the IPA. Things like copay. So even though you can't negotiate fees in a messenger model, a copay can be negotiated. And so, um, if, if they can show that the primary care services are more cost-effective when they're provided to patients by an optometrist rather than, say, a, a surgeon, uh, the IPA can utilize that data to negotiate to have the patient copay less when they see the optometrist as opposed to seeing the ophthalmologist, for example. 
So the bottom line with messenger model IPAs is that the disadvantage of a uh, messenger model IPA is the inability to explicitly negotiate fees on behalf of their members. The main advantage is that there are many other provisions that can be negotiated and it can be an advantage to the member doctors who may be happy with the current fee levels but would like in other enhancements to contracts which makes their business easier or more attractive for patients to seek out optometrists for their primary care needs. So I hope this was helpful in covering IPAs and how we could, in theory, negotiate collectively. It is not for the faint of heart. It is, um, it is definitely a challenge to organize everybody uh, in this manner, but, but it can be done and it has been done in other professions, even for independent providers. But again, the challenge is that we all have to, to come together with some support on the front end. Collective negotiation cannot be done without these legal protections uh, we would we would be um, we would be putting our our practices at risk. However, we can do this as individuals if we choose to. We can make these things known. We can negotiate on behalf of our own practices uh, individually, independently. Um, and uh, and if you want other resources, please feel free to reach out to some of our legal contacts like Stephanie Sharp who we've had on the podcast before. And um, you can check out some of her courses on icodeeducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E education.com. She's got some courses on contract negotiation to get you more familiar with it. And she can also serve as an intermediary or, or a help for you if you choose to, to have to go in in depth with uh, other things individually in your practices when it comes to negotiating with payers. So I hope this was helpful. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.